For Eli Sherman, CJ Stone, Brett Graham, and Leo Blavin, I'm Morris Fabry. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day. Do it makes us older, better, faster, stronger. Get that, 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 that don't kill me. Can only make us stronger. I need you to hurry up now. Cause I can't wait much longer. I know I got to be right now. Cause I can't get much stronger. Man, I've been waiting all night now. That's how long I've been on ya. Thank you for listening to the Daily Sports Report on 88.3 FM Ann Arbor where the puck drops here. Good evening and welcome to Gray Matters, your weekly current events, media analysis, and commentary program. My name is Jim Dwyer, and I'll be your host this evening. Start off with some good news, uh, very good news, in fact. Uh, Dick Whaley is uh, making a Pretty good recovery, and although he uh, will not be here with us this evening on the program, uh, it looks as though he'll be back uh, quite possibly as soon as next week. So that is indeed very welcome news. Uh, Lots going on this week. Uh, Many things to uh, talk about. number of directions we could uh, possibly go. Uh, probably the big story that everybody's talking about, uh, in the workplace and at ye old water cooler is of course the, uh, national felon league, uh, and the increasing likelihood of the, uh, dismissal or resignation of NFL commissioner Roger Goodell, who of course has tried to charm his way through many a crisis and scandal before. Uh, football is a $26 billion industry or something like that, and so there's serious money involved in this sport, which I've predicted will probably uh, dwindle, if not die, on the vine within the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Even uh, here at the University of Michigan, the number of student uh, ticket sales is uh, declined by about 5,000, and of course fundraisers uh, who work with alumni 
are concerned that, well, if you're not a fan of football while you're in college, uh, why are you going to be an alumni supporter of your school team when you are a graduate, when you're out in the professional world? Of course, the increasing concern with head injuries and so forth is going to uh, impact the numbers of young people who come to the game. Um so we'll see where uh, the NFL is at in another 10 to 15 years. But for now, of course, the latest, in addition to the uh, pretty egregious uh, example of wife beating that was videotaped and on there for all to see, including the uh, commissioner of the NFL, the recent story is that... Uh, and this is from today's New York Times uh, sports section. Uh, women's groups have uh, continued to call for Goodell's resignation or removal. Friday brought even more embarrassing news. The NFL's legal team predicted that more than one in four retired players would develop neurological disease. And uh, if that's not bad enough, of course, that's those are pretty serious numbers. And uh, if you're a parent with a young child who's playing... Uh, School football, which, by the way, is increasingly expensive for schools to maintain and support those programs, too. Um, you're thinking twice about uh, your kid playing football. So that's bad news for the future and for today's players who will at one point be retirees. But then, uh, of course, this bad news was compounded with the news that uh, star Vikings running back Adrian Peterson was indicted on charge child abuse. Apparently, he severely disciplined a four-year-old boy. And again, all this stuff is being videotaped. So, you know, why people think they can thrash a child and get away with it by calling it good old-fashioned uh, tough love or something. Uh, well, this little blip here uh, further on in the article about... Uh, Goodell, Commissioner Goodell, which is entitled Handling of Rice Case, may be one misstep too, for too many for Goodell. It's by Alan Schwartz, again, in today's New York Times. <clears throat> this uh, last little passage I'll read from this article is a direct connective tissue to one of our favorite subjects here on Gray Matters. Uh, so Alan Schwartz writes, even Goodell's harshest punishments, and he's been criticized for... Uh, uh, putting out rather lightweight punishments, sort of slap on the wrist sort of punishments over his tenure as NFL commissioner. Schwartz writes, even Goodell's harshest punishments have had clumsy codas. In 2007, after a Patriots employee was caught filming the Jets' defensive signals, Goodell found other instances of such spying and swiftly fined the Patriots $250,000, took away a first-round draft pick, and fined coach Bill uh, Belichick 500000 But the league did not reveal the other instances, and it fueled conspiracy theories by destroying the tapes with little explanation. One crisis management expert said at the time, quote, Roger Goodell learned what Richard Nixon did not. If the tapes are destroyed, you keep your job. Close quote. So... As a fanatical football fan himself, Richard Nixon is there giving the commissioner the big play. Burn the tapes. That's what I should have done. Well, the reason Nixon didn't burn the tapes is something we've discussed many times here, and I'm sure we'll have more to say about Nixon at some point later 
in the year. This, of course, the anniversary year of the big resignation. Uh, well, there is a, another sort of a strange uh, article, today's paper, about, in fact, it's the big top-of-the-fold photograph in the Times. Um, North, Amer North Korea sentences an American to six years of hard labor. Uh, they claim he's a spy, and there are elements of the story that are somewhat bizarre. Uh, Cho Sang-hun writes uh, in The Times, uh, American sentenced to six years of hard labor in North Korea for hostile acts. The Supreme Court in North Korea on Sunday sentenced one of the three Americans known to be held in the country to six years of hard labor for committing hostile acts against the North. Well, um, what are these hostile acts? Mr. Miller was accused of entering North Korea with the ambition to deliberately violate North Korean law so he could experience life in a North Korean prison and later become a first-hand witness about the human rights conditions in the North. The Chosun Sinbo reported. Chosun Sinbo is a uh, newspaper that's printed in Japan but is pro-North Korean. So in other words, this guy is accused of coming to North Korea to get arrested so he could go to prison and spy on what goes on in prisons. And the, we're going to punish him by throwing him in the prison. Uh, you'd think that maybe kicking him out would be the better response. But uh, the two other Americans known to be held uh, are there basically uh, as trying to make martyrs of themselves, I suppose, in the uh, evangelical movement. It's uh, against the law to secretly minister to the Christian fellowship needs of folks in North Korea. And so uh, a couple of other guys uh, being held on that. Further on in the article, uh, of course, they're, the Americans are offering to send the uh, envoy over uh, for uh, to see about negotiating this guy's release. But uh, North Korea wants uh, a more prominent American than simply a uh, ambassadorial envoy. Perhaps uh, Dennis Rodman or even better, maybe Michael Jordan will come over and visit us. They might just go for that. Uh, the Chosun Simbo, uh, quoting North Korean court records, uh, blah, 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 son, uh, Mr. Miller was born in California and visited South Korea before entering North Korea through China on April 10th. The newspaper said that he had developed a deep hostility against North Korea while reading anti-North Korean publications. Uh, during his uh, interrogation, he... Uh, asked to meet with one of the other uh, evangelicals being held and tried to mislead investigators uh, by saying untruthfully that his iPod and iPad contained important data on U.S. military bases in South Korea. The, the question that really uh, is raised here by this guy's uh, claims and gestures is why would anyone want to go to North Korea unless you were hoping to go there to spy on them or make a martyr of yourself by claiming to advance some evangelical agenda uh, and instead ending up in prison, which we already know from United Nations commissions of inquiry 
that uh, abuses are systematic, widespread, and gross in North Korean prisons. So you don't really need a spy network to funnel that information out. So uh, that might just qualify as a brain damage award in and of itself. Uh, good luck to Mr. Miller in his appeal, if they even have that there. So there's good advice. Just don't go to North Korea. There's really no reason to. Well, uh, the ongoing uh, wordplay and position skirmishing about what to do over ISIL, as President Obama refers to it, the Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant, or ISIS, as it's consist more consistently showing up in the media. I think ISIL is probably a better term because Levant is the actual term the members of this group are using, and uh, I'm kind of a stickler for those old words that denote uh, geographical regions. The Levant is uh, a perfectly cremulent word, and it basically references the eastern basin of the Mediterranean, um, if nothing else, it reveals that the goals and aspirations of this organization are beyond Syria itself. The Levant would include anything that's coastal. That would be Lebanon. That would be Gaza. That would be the pieces of Israel that uh, touch the Mediterranean. And so I think ISIL is the term I'm going to use. Uh, it's been announced that... Uh, quote-unquote, several Arab nations have offered to join in airstrikes against ISIL. And uh, in today's times, uh, Eric, David Sanger uh, writes with a couple of others, uh, an article that's hobbled together with the work of three different writers. In interviews and public statements, administration and military officials described a battle plan that would not accelerate in earnest until disparate groups of Iraqi forces, Kurds and Syrian rebels, stepped up to provide the fighting forces on the ground. Equipping, training, and coordinating that effort is a lengthy process, officials cautioned. But American officials have made it clear they do not want the airstrikes to get ahead of the ground action against ISIL, which they said would take time to mass. Quote, This isn't going to be shock and awe with hundreds of airstrikes, one official said, referencing the initial attack on Baghdad at the opening of the Iraq War in March 2003. Quote, we don't want this to look like an American war, close quote. Uh, Assuming that you've already forgotten what you read at the end of the previous paragraph, where administration officials said that we are going to equip, train, and coordinate an effort that will not look like an American war, but will in fact have been a war <laughs> brought about by the equipping, training, coordinating of others to, oh yeah, okay, well, we'll see what that does for Iraq when uh, Kurdistan is uh, poised to emerge as its own independent state. How our allies, the Turks, will feel about that is, of course, a big old can of worms. So we don't want it to look like an American war. Uh, And, of course, it's nice to have a team effort. That was uh, one thing about the first Gulf War with President H.W. Bush, is at least he had uh, something like a genuine coalition, coalition uh, that his son, W. Bush, uh, tried to uh, 
referenced by his attempt at a coalition of the willing, in which nations like Poland uh, supplied as many as like 27 advisors or soldiers. Uh, it was a very scanty grouping indeed in the coalition of the willing. It's important to have uh, the Arab world involved in the military strikes that will be targeted uh, ISIL's way. But there are a number of very important, troubling, and important questions that are going unasked, uh, particularly about Saudi Arabia's involvement in any such coalition. And I'm going to read to you now from Patrick Coburn's piece uh, on today's uh, Counterpunch. Org. It's entitled Saudi Arabia, 9-11, and the Rise of ISIS. He uses ISIS. Well, actually, in his uh, first line, he uses Levant. So as per my previous note, I'm going to keep using ISIL. But here is Patrick Coburn. The rise of the Islamic State uh, and the, of Iraq and the Levant, ISIL, has been aided by the continuing failure of the U.S. government to investigate the role of Saudi Arabia in the 9-11 attacks and its support of jihadi movements such as al-Qaeda in the years since, says former Senator Bob Graham, the co-chairman of the official inquiry into 9-11, which, of course, the anniversary of which uh, was commemorated last week. Senator Graham, who chaired the Senate Intelligence Committee, said that successive administrations in Washington had turned a blind eye to Saudi support for Sunni extremists. He added, quote, I believe that the failure to shine a full light on Saudi actions, and particularly its involvement in 9-11, has contributed to the Saudi ability to continue to engage in actions that are damaging to the U.S. and, in particular, their support for ISIL. Close quote. Senator Graham, a distinguished elder statesman who is twice Democratic governor of Florida before spending 18 years in the U.S. Senate, believes that ignoring what Saudi Arabia was doing and treating it as a reliable American ally contributed to the U.S. intelligence services failure to identify ISIL as a rising power until after it captured Mosul on 10th of June. He says that one reason, I think, that our intelligence has been less than stellar is that not enough attention was given to Saudi Arabia's fostering of al-Qaeda-type jihadi movements, of which ISIL is the most notorious and successful. So far, the CIA and other intelligence services have faced little criticism in the U.S. for their apparent failure to foresee the explosive expansion of ISIL, which now controls an area larger than Great Britain in northern Iraq and eastern Syria. Senator Graham's criticism of the U.S. policy towards Saudi Arabia is important because it comes amidst growing doubts in the U.S. about the wisdom of Barack Obama's plan uh, President Barack Obama's plan announced on Wednesday to look to the Gulf monarchs as crucial allies in the U.S. campaign to contain and, if possible, push back ISIS after its victories in Iraq and Syria during the summer. Under the plan, Saudi Arabia is to host a special training facility for moderate Syrian opposition, which is to fight both ISIL and the government of President Bashar al-Assad. A problem is that Saudi Arabia dislikes ISIL today, whatever its role in its creation, but it gives priority to regime change in Damascus. Senator Graham thinks it is wise to engage with Saudi Arabia because, despite Saudi denials, he says it has been, quote, a central figure in financing ISIL and extremist groups, close quote. But he is cautious about success from the U.S. point of view 
because of the Saudi monarchy's long-term alliance with the Wahhabi clergy and its commitment to spread Wahhabism, the intolerant variant of Islam, which denounces Shia as heretics and treats women as chattels under male control. The senator says that Saudi Arabia not only gives support to Sunni communities worldwide, quote, but the most extreme elements among the Sunni, close quote. The Saudi role in the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center in 2001 has long been public knowledge since 15 out of 19 of the hijackers were Saudis, and the leader of al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, was a member of the Saudi ruling elite. The 9-11 inquiry found that for financing, al-Qaeda relied on a core group of private donors and charities in Saudi Gulf. And parenthetically, I'll uh, interject here that uh, anyone out there who's read Thomas Pynchon's latest book, Bleeding Edge, is uh, wrinkling and furrowing their brow now at this uh, detail I've just read to you. Very good book, by the way. Strongly recommend it. Back to uh, Coburn's article here. Despite the Saudi connections of the 9-11 conspirators, Saudi Arabia and its citizens were treated with extraordinary leniency in the wake of the attacks. Some 144 individuals, mostly from the Saudi aristocracy, were permitted to fly back to Saudi Arabia within days of the attacks, without being questioned by the FBI. Another parenthetical injection, uh, interjection. That was during a time period where no flights were permissible except official U.S. government and military flights. You might remember that weird, spooky silence of the week after the 9-11 attacks where there was no commercial air traffic. These flights were allowed to go. It was a very bizarre development at the time. And that quiet was uh, refreshing in many ways, yet also a little spooky. Um, more on that another time. So, yeah, these 144 individuals were allowed to fly back to Saudi Arabia without being questioned by the FBI. Coburn continues, the influential Saudi ambassador, Prince Bandar bin Sultan, was pictured in cheerful conversation with President Bush on the White House balcony a few days after 9-11. Senator Graham recalls that, quote, there were several incidents in which U.S. officials were inexplicably solicitous to Saudis. Close quote. U.S. officials who went to Saudi Arabia to investigate links to 9-11 found their Saudi counterparts to be persistently obstructive. Saudi obstructionism continued during the decade after 9-11. In 2007, Stuart Levy, the undersecretary of the U.S. Treasury in charge of monitoring and impeding the financing of terrorism, told ABC News that when it came to al-Qaeda, quote, if I could somehow snap my fingers and cut off the funding from one country, it would be Saudi Arabia, close quote. He added that at that stage, not one person identified by the U.S. or the U.N. as funding terrorism had been prosecuted by the Saudis. Eight years after 9-11, the U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton wrote in a cable leaked by WikiLeaks that, quote, Saudi Arabia remains a critical financial support base for al-Qaeda, the Taliban, Lati, Lashkar-e-Tabi in Pakistan, and other terrorist groups. As al-Qaeda in Iraq began to reorganize and turn itself into ISIL in the years after 2010, politicians and security officials in Baghdad were convinced of the complicity of Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf monarchies in funding jihadis in Iraq. 
They generally avoided public criticism of these states as allies of the U.S., but in March 2014, Iraqi Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki identified Saudi Arabia and Qatar as the two countries, quote, primarily responsible for the sectarian, terrorist, and security crisis in Iraq, close quote. Oh, except for, of course, the fabulous work of H.W. Uh, Bush in creating the context for all of this madness to unfold. Uh, back to the article here. Maliki said that Riyadh and Doha were, quote, buying weapons for the benefit of these terrorist organizations, close quote. Mr. Maliki had his own share of blame for persecuting the Sunni community, community in Iraq, so it gave support to armed resistance by ISIL. But Iraqi leaders all believed that the monarchs of the Gulf were bankrolling Sunni opposition in Iraq and would never accept a Shia-dominated government. The most striking example of Washington's willingness to protect the kingdom over complicity in 9-11 is the 28 pages of the official inquiry that were censored and have yet to be published. Senator Graham is not allowed to reveal what is in the chapter that was redacted, but other sources say that they are about connections between Saudi government officials and the 9-11 attacks. Anthony Summers and Robin Swan, in their excellent book, The Eleventh Day, The Full Story of 9-11, quote a senior American official who saw the 28 pages before they were excised, apparently on the initiative of President George W. Bush, as saying, quote, if the 28 pages were to be made public, I have no question that the entire relationship with Saudi Arabia would change overnight, close quote. Senator Graham has long campaigned to have the 28 pages of the 9-11 inquiry and other documents released. He says, knowing their content, that there is no national security justification for keeping them a secret 13 years after 9-11. He says that some government agencies, notably the FBI, have a motive in keeping information from the public about, quote, their actions and their competence at the time of 9-11. In Sarasota, Florida, the FBI initially denied having any documents relating to hijackers who were based there, but now has handed over 80,000 pages that might be relevant under the Freedom of Information Act, according to Tom Julin, the Miami-based attorney handling the FOI application. Asked why the U.S. government has been so eager since 2001 to cover up for the Saudis, Senator Graham says that one explanation is the long-term U.S. strategic alliance with Saudi Arabia going back to the Second World War. There is also the close personal relationship between the Bush family and the kingdom. But what he finds more difficult to explain is why the, quote, policy of covering up Saudi involvement in 9-11 persisted under the Obama administration, close quote. Though Mr. Obama had pledged to the families of the 9-11 victims during the 2008 presidential election campaign to release the 28 censored pages, it has failed to do so six years later. Senator Graham does not suggest that the Saudis are directly running ISIL, but that their support for Sunni extremists in Iraq and Syria opened the door to jihadis, including ISIL. Similar points were made by Sir Richard Dearlove, the former head of the British Secret Intelligence Service and MI6, who said that uh, in a lecture at the Royal United Services Institute in London in July that the Saudi government is deeply attracted towards any militancy which effectively challenges Shiadom. Close quote. He said that the rulers of the kingdom tended to oppose jihadis at home as enemies of the House of Saud but promote them abroad in the interests of Saudi foreign policy. Gee, I wonder where they learned that model. Hmm. 
Hmm. Well, I just wonder. That's a pretty standard, uh, universally uh, practiced approach uh, to fostering rebellion overseas while maintaining your own power structure at home. Uh, where did I leave off here? Anti-Shiism has always been at the center of the Saudi worldview, and he quoted Prince Bandar, the ambassador in Washington at the time of 9-11, and later head of Saudi intelligence, as saying to him, quote, The time is not far off in the Middle East, Richard, when it will be literally God help the Shia. More than a billion Sunni have simply had enough of them. Close quote. Well... In allying itself with Saudi Arabia, the U.S. automatically plugs itself into an anti-Shia agenda and limits its ability to monitor and take action against Sunni jihadis who are promoted by Riyadh. In Syria, this has led to parts of a jihadi-dominated military opposition being relabeled as moderate. President Obama intends to support this group, who scarcely exist on the map, to fight both ISIL and the Assad government. Senator Graham maintains that there is a dark side to Saudi Arabia exemplified by 9-11 and its aftermath that the American public need to know about and which has hitherto been concealed. The U.S. and other Western governments have yet to explain why their war on terror, a dubious premise if ever there was one, has so demonstrably failed with the rise of ISIL, but tolerance of Saudi complicity in 9-11 will surely be part of the answer. Well, Patrick Coburn, who writes regularly for Counterpunch, uh, has a new book out entitled Jihadi's Return, ISIL, and the New Sunni Uprising. This piece came to you from uh, Counterpunch. Alexander Coburn founded and uh, initiated this media outlet. And from time to time, I share some of its material with you. Well, thanks very much for listening tonight. By this time next week, we'll know how the Scottish people have voted. If they voted for independence, they're cutting their nose off to spite their face. I think uh, economically, uh, it's a mistake. Culturally, they already enjoy uh, you know, significant kinds of sovereignty. Uh, but it's not my vote. It's their decision. And so I will turn things over to a scholar of the blues. Weston is coming up next with Yazoo City Calling right here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Stay tuned for the blues right after this. <laughs> <laughs> 